ride with me in my foul life. Here we are, another episode of the Foul Life Podcast, Dickie's Work Wear Series. We're talking work. Do you know what work is? Do you know how to work? Do you have a work ethic? This is what we often ask ourselves. Are we working hard enough? What's our end goal? What's our vision? Short-term goals, mid-term goals, long-term goals. Dickies is there for all of those goals, and they are driving the workwear brand and lifestyle and culture because they believe in work, and they want you to be successful, America. All over the world, they want us to work and provide for our families and friends and become successful and live out our lives and enjoy them and be comfortable. I'm not saying that you have to be rich. That's not what this means. It's just so enlightening and so enriching to have a work ethic and to accomplish those goals that we just talked about. So ask yourself, America, are you working? Are you working hard? Are you happy with where you're at? Do you want to become a better version of yourself? I surely do. That's my goal daily. I want to strive for success and I want to become a better version of myself in every way possible, mentally, emotionally, my psyche, physically. I want to look good. I want to look like today's guest. I want to be shredded and ripped up like Bobby Heim. You've heard him here on the podcast before, but to be able to operate a short read goose call and a single read duck call like this man does, you have to be shredded. You have to be a Greek God. Is that correct, Bobby? Uh, maybe. I don't know. There's pretty good geese callers that uh, got a little belly on them, so I don't know. <laughs> you, you don't, do you? No, no. No, I got to stay fit for work, so. Now, that's what we're talking about, staying fit for work. Working is how you afford your hunting lifestyle, right? Yeah, yeah. And what does this work pertain? We've touched on it before, but you're a professional fisherman, or what are you? So I'm a, I'm a guide in the winter months and, um, I'm also a career firefighter. So I work 24 72. So every day that I'm off, I'm taking a hunting party or crabbing or whatever. So you, when you say you didn't mention crabbing in there, you're a goose guide and a duck guide, a waterfowl guide, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And a professional and firefighter during the summertime. Yeah. Yeah. So during the summertime on my days that I'm not, you know, I'm working for the fire department. I'm crabbing and oyster and whatnot. So, so you get paid from three different areas. You get paid from an outfitter. You get paid from a fishing, a commercial fishing operation, and you get paid by the the fire department of Maryland. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, good night. You are a worker. Yeah, I work seven days a week, and I I, I train to eat dogs every summer too. So I take some of that on too. So, and you still have time for your girlfriend. And yeah, yeah, she's right there. She she likes all the stuff I do, so she's usually right there alongside of me, except for the hunting part. She likes she doesn't she ain't with the cold. She don't like that. She rather stay home. So she's not, all she's, summer long, she's pretty much right with me. Crabbing and everything. Yeah, she'll come down there while I'm baiting my lines up and all that kind of stuff. The boat's probably a couple hundred yards from the house here, so it's you know it's right there. So she comes down all the time, and she grew up on the water, so she loves it just as much as I do. So if you had to guess. Um, when should I expect that box to be on my porch? And you know, it's going to be in that box. So, I mean, it's March right now. When do you think Mr. Bobby Heim, I can expect this box to be on my porch? Probably May. I'd say May. May. 
may yeah. I may I ask for it to be here sooner? Uh, yeah, you can. <laughs> Although, if it's sooner, I don't know how many are going to be in there. So we've had a lot of rain, so I think the crabs will be pushed back a little bit this year. So. so if I pay for the overnight freighting, you can get freight. You can get me a a, a nice size box of crabs. Yeah, sure. Okay, now since you have such a work ethic, though, Bobby Heim, how much extra would it cost me for them to come all shook, all shucked and peeled and ready for me to just eat the crab meat? Oh, I can send you the, the guy or the um, people I sell to right out the road here from my house. That's what they they have picked crabs. They have the they have them all packed and sealed. I can send you as many of them as you want, like right now, if you wanted them. Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh! You see, can you tell that my mouth you make is some cream of crab soup? You can make some uh, crab dip. You can do all that kind of stuff. Crab cakes, just crab with a little yep. cocktail sauce. I mean, I I'm a crab freak, That's especially ex- those are all Dungeness or are those all blues? What are they? They're all blues. Yeah. Now, have you ever eaten Dungeness crab? I have not. The only the only other kind of crab I've ever had is um uh, king. king crab. Do you yeah. think that do you think blue tastes way better than king? Yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you, there's we eat them so much and, and especially all the locals here on the shore, we can tell the difference between a chop tank river crab and a Chester River crab and a fish and bay crab. And those are three different, you know, fisheries that are up and down the whole entire bay. You can taste the difference between the between the three. Is there one that's better than the other ones? Chester River fall crabs are best. By far, that's up there towards Chester Town, um, and they—they're just—they're huge. They're like seven, seven and a half inch crabs. Every single one of them, they're packed full of meat, and they got all the mustard in them and everything, and they're always delicious. But you—do they call it Chester Bay Fall because you're catching them in the fall, or is it still springtime? No, it, it, it's fall time when they catch them there. They usually don't hit there until mid July, late July. Early August, and they'll catch them all the way through November. But you're not fishing for them in that part of the country, or are you? No, no, I'm down on the Chop Tank River, which would be, in my, in my, I guess, opinion, would be the second best crab there is because they're a lot like the Chester River crabs. Sometimes you get bigger ones, but most of the time they're really full because we're fishing deeper water, and you know the the lighter ones go up the shed, and and we don't have that much shoal water around, so. I believe they're the second best. And the further south you go, a little bit saltier to get. So um, some people like the salty taste, but I just I like a sweet crab taste, and that's that Chester River Creek Big Fall Blue Crab. So this package that you're talking about sending me, and you got these guys up right down the street that provide this service of packaging them up, what kind of crab would that be mm-hmm. this time of year? Oh, blue crab. They, they might have it frozen from – the fall leftover and um you know early late summer months so they when they they'll pick them they'll pick all the crabs and then they'll package them and seal them and then freeze them and they're usually good for a year or so so would you yourself knowing those crabs could have been frozen would you go down and buy a package from these guys that you're talking about and eat it right now yourself or do you wait for fresh oh, absolutely yeah. you would yep absolutely yep Okay, well, I'm all in. Can we discuss that off microphone when we're done? Yes, sir. I like the idea of this, Bobby Heim. So three different jobs, the anticipation of a firefighter. Um, firefighters are 
they're not just fire putter outers. I mean, you got to be trained in EMT. You got to be trained in emergency calls. You got to be trained in arriving first, potentially to a major car accident. You have to be um, able to not just put a hose on a fire hydrant and turn it on and spray a flame. There's a lot of things that go into being a firefighter. Is it probably the most fulfilled job that you could put, picture yourself having as far as providing you with just this sense of fulfillment? Oh yeah. Cause I mean, it's all, it's, it's a lot of it's instinct and a lot of it's like you show up and you got, you know, flame showing or you got different. So you got brown smoke instead of black smoke, which means you might have, you know, the whole entire inside is basically burnt out. Now it's considered a framework. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot going on and we're all dual certified, just like you said, and medical services and then also riding the fire trucks and engines and stuff and towers. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot going on at once. So, so, if, give me your hours now of a firefighter. You said you, what do you work 24 on or 48 on? And then you get five days off because firefighters, it's stressful when you're on, when you're at the station, but you do get a, a quite a bit of time off, right? Yeah. So we work 24 on and then 72 off. So one on and then three off. Um, and it's seven, a to seven a. So, but, and, and like at the station I work at, we run 20, 30 calls a shift. So you need them three days to recuperate, but I'm young. So my sleep doesn't matter to me yet. <laughs> How old are you? I am 20. I'll be 26 uh, Friday. And how long have you been a firefighter? Since I was 19. Okay. Give me, when was the last day you worked? Uh, last day I worked was Wednesday. Last Wednesday, I had to take off to go to Missouri to get a puppy this weekend. So I was supposed to work yesterday. So I won't work till Thursday this week. You went and picked up a client's puppy to train or is it a personal dog? No, it's a personal dog. Yeah. I went to pick him up from uh, Missouri. What'd you name him? Uh, Ryder. R-Y or R-I? R-Y. What kennel did he come out of? Uh, Sims Mountain Kennels in Park Hills, Missouri. Fantastic setup. I was very pleased. It was it was awesome. Had great grounds. Had great dogs there. So I was I was pretty happy with it. I've never my dog I got now was an accident here at one of the places I guide. Two of the head dogs there got together by accident. So he's not registered or anything, but he's getting to be he'll be five. So and he he's got a lot of retrieves under him because of the all the different places I guide and going to Canada and. Um, so I wanted to get him a little bit of help because he showed a little bit of slowing down this year. So that's the best feeling in the world, getting a puppy. I love the idea. Oh, yeah. And you train him yourself, yeah, huh? It. Yeah, yeah. So you've already been out this morning training, I assume. Yeah, well, it's raining here. Um, I'm just doing a little bit of sit work and you know, taking the wing and throwing it down the hallway, that kind of stuff. And we had a pretty long ride. Saturday night, so we didn't get back here till two thirty a.m. So I'm kind of giving them a couple of days to get used to the house, get used to running around, you know, everywhere, and getting used to everything before I take him outside and we really start doing some cool stuff with him. But he's only seven seven weeks, so I won't start anything serious for another month or so. But he'll get his obedience down next month. So when you're at the firehouse Wednesday, you're obviously thinking about this trip to Missouri, but you got to be on your A game. Your focus has got to be there. As a firefighter and you're on a shift like that, 30 calls, 
how are you keeping your focus? Is there supplementation in your diet of focus drinks, focus, you know, as far as supplemental dietary vitamins go? Do you drink a lot of Red Bull? Are you allowed to drink Red Bull? How does it work to make sure? Because if you're not getting any sleep in 24 hours and you're getting called out with that responsibility level of driving those trucks, of taking care of those patients, of putting out fires, car wrecks, whatever it is, what, how do you supplement yourself to make sure that you're at the ready? A lot of coffee. A lot of coffee. We're, Just coffee. We're drink Red Bulls. I, yeah, uh, I usually drink a Red Bull in the morning or a Monster or whatever I decide to pick, whatever I'm tasting for that morning. And then uh, I'll drink Monster on the way to work, get to the station, have a couple cups of coffee. And then, you know, we start running and then lunchtime comes around and you eat and you get a little bit tired after you're full and have another cup of coffee and then repeat the process right around dinner time. So we try and get some sleep if we can, you know, throughout the day. So like after lunchtime, kind of like, Okay, if you get a chance, you know, go ahead and take a nap because you don't know when your next time you're going to hit that bed is. So we always try and take advantage of it when we can. Even if it's just a quick 5, 10, 15 minutes, it helps a lot for the rest of the 24-hour shift. Is the siren loud enough to wake you up out of a deep power nap, or do you depend on your coworkers to help you? Oh, no, yeah. We, we keep the sets um, pretty loud in the station, and there's – 10 guys in my station during the day and eight that stay at night. So, I mean, there's enough of us to kind of watch out for each other, you know, kick the bed as we're walking by after we get a call or whatever, if someone's still covered up or, you know, whatever. So, but it's pretty loud. So, it, and I, I'll wake up to him at home. Like I'll hear tones at home sometimes, you know, and I'll like wake up and I forget that I'm in my own bed. It's just force of habit now. <laughs> so, are you allowed to give me some details of some of the things that, that you saw this this last Wednesday? Yeah, I can. Um, I, I don't think HIPAA applies unless you include personal information. So, I mean, it's we've had we've had some weather here, so we've had some pretty bad car wrecks. Cut. I think one day I cut two people out in one shift, which is pretty. You know, usually you might have one cut job every couple couple uh, shifts or a couple days or so, but to have two in one day that was pretty significant. So. And um, we've had a couple fires. Um, one wasn't it wasn't horrible, but I mean it was it was pretty. I think one of our um, one of our somebody I can't remember what district it was from because we we're pretty close to three different fire departments: the naval district, the city district, and the and the county district, which I work for. And um, I think one of the guys got burned on that. It wasn't bad or serious. It was just a spot on his hand. But and have you seen a dead body? Oh yeah, pretty much every shift. Really? Yeah, because we run so many medicals. You know, you get cardiac arrests. You know, and we have like a sixty-five in a whole box area. That's like twenty by twenty miles. It's a sixty-five in every community. So sadly, you know, we we deal with a lot of elderly people and a lot of sick elderly people that you know we run cardiac arrest for and overdoses and car accidents. So yeah. I think I've been been in six years now or so. Yeah, it'll be seven next year. So it's a uh, it's it's quite a lot um, going on. You usually see one just about every shift with all the medical calls. So what was the last one this last Wednesday? Was there one this last shift? Last shift, last shift. I think we ran a cardiac arrest in a nursing home. The person was like a hundred, like ninety nine, a hundred, something like that triple bypass surgeries that kind of stuff so 
So probably not as hard to see that as it is to drive up on a car wreck with a dead body, I would assume. Oh yeah. Yeah. Car wrecks are car wrecks are the worst. They're they're my biggest fear. Um is riding up on one and um I knock on wood, I haven't seen any any um youngins get um you know pretty banged up yet. Um and I'm thankful for it. I don't I, I hope that they never comes. Um I, I only gotta work twenty years and I can retire. So um you know I I, I hope I never see that. I hope I keep lucking out, but I got a feeling eventually it's going to come, but that's my biggest fear. That's, that's one thing I really do not want to see is um, a young kid get banged up in a car wreck or something like that. When you talk about cutting people out of a car wreck, like you mentioned before, you mean the jaws of life? Yeah. Yeah. Cutting the doors off, getting them out, getting them on the stretcher, cutting the roof off. You know, they're alive at this time. Are they screaming and you've gotten visuals or you've gotten audio that proves that they're alive? Well, yeah, so sometimes, most times they're not screaming, even if, you know, there is a lot of stuff that's broke, like legs or, you know, arms or whatever, you know, their back. A lot of times they're in so much shock from the accident. They're just like, you know, this, we get up to them, what hurts, you know, are you okay? And then, you know, a lot of times they're like, oh, yeah, I'm good. And some of them are like, I can't feel my legs or stuff like that. So most of it, and sometimes you pull up on them and they're unconscious and you got to feel for a pulse, make sure they're good to go. And, then um, that's when the real work starts. So once you find out the priority of the patient. So do you guys, is it pretty much every time y'all show up first or is it usually the PD or, and then the ambulance comes? How does the, how does it usually run? It's uh, it all depends on what calls it in. So a lot of times, um, like there's a lot of patrol cars out on 97 and 50. So we see a lot of uh, police getting there first because they either saw the accident or heard it, or they got, they're already on the road closer to it whereas we're in the station responding but sometimes um if like a passerby saw and they call 911 sometimes we're there first before the police it all just depends on where everybody's at but it's pretty much 50 50 on who shows up first and with covid lately has it has it changed things with with any of the operate operational procedures with it with how you treat an accident scene yeah, so, I mean, it's just masks all, at all times, you know, and um, even in the station and all that kind of stuff. So that, that's, that's really all that's, that's changed is, you know, they just want us to be protected and so they just make you wear a mask, N95 and um, safety glasses, stuff like that. Have you had any COVID call-outs? Uh, for, like, you mean people from the department? Or just people calling 911 for COVID. Yeah, like 911 where people are, are are dying from COVID or something's going on. No, I think the last one I ran was in March. No way. Last year. No way. Swear to God. Really? Yeah. And, and if they do call and they do end up having COVID, like usually it's not because of COVID. It's like, you know, they're not feeling right or they're just sick and it's not like, you know, they find out like four or five days later they have COVID. They don't call and say, oh, I have COVID. You know, I need to go to the hospital. But, you know, I haven't ran any people who are complaining of COVID or, or even symptomatic for like months. So. Hmm. Interesting, Bobby Heim. Yeah. So at 25 years old, what's that? I, I can't say if, a, if the people who I do take had it or not, but I can tell you that it wasn't, um, 
and we didn't have a lot of symptomatic people, at least at my station. So, but what, um, you got to talk to me a little bit about being 25 and seeing dead bodies. Has it let you develop this skin, this kind of, you know, this exterior layer to it now to where it's there. You've seen it so much. It doesn't bother you is, is how does that work out? Because to me, like that would just be terrifying to have the opportunity to see a dead body every time I went to work. Now I'm not trying to dramatize it. I'm just saying that that's a big deal in my opinion, that firefighters are seeing this. I know people that work at the morgue are, are used to it because that's what they do. They go into that line of work knowing that daily they're going to be dealing with death, but yeah. Has it, has it changed the way you think about life? I has, but when you had, you value life a lot more? Um, you know, I don't really think about the value of life so much as far as the skin goes for me, you know, when I first got in, you know, I was young, I didn't know any better, you know, I was still developing and all that kind of stuff. And I was, and over the past years, you know, my mom and even my wife sometimes are like, my God, are you sensitive to anything? You know, because I'll say something off the wall or whatever and about, you know, not feeling sorry about something or whatever. And like, you know, do you have any feeling? And it's like, well, I mean, I see this stuff all the time. So, you know, it's it's kind of hard to, you know, but um, as far as life goes, seeing the stuff I see makes me want to be able to get everything out of life that I could possibly get is why I work so many jobs. I guide, you know, I, I don't want to take a day off because I don't want to miss a thing, you know? And, um, that's, that's probably what, what has brought me to how I am now is the fact that, okay, life is pretty, you know, significant and I would like to get the most out of it that I can, which is why I work so hard. So you love being a firefighter. Wouldn't say I love it. I like it. Um, if, I always say that if guiding and, um, you know, dog training had benefits in retirement, then I'd quit tomorrow. But it's the next best thing for me. It's an adrenaline rush. You know, it's helping people when they actually need it, you know, and that kind of stuff that kind of keeps me going, you know, and it's going to get me to my 20 years before I retire. So as you transition revenue streams and livelihoods, now we're talking to Bobby Heim the deadliest catcher is your job like the TV show. The TV show is very dangerous. They say it's one of the most dangerous jobs in the world, being a professional crabber up there on those waters and that sea. Um, what's it like for you? Is it more relaxed, chilled out? Or yeah. when you talk about adrenaline rush, is there any adrenaline to fishing, like have, as many nets as you've pulled up and as many crabs as you've seen, is there anything that gets you excited about that job anymore besides the actual dipping it in a nice little tray of hot butter and putting it into your mouth? No, the, 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 the it's, it's pretty relaxing. That's why I like the job and that's why I still do it. You know, um, probably the biggest adrenaline rush during that is when you're going down the line and all of a sudden you see these great big jimmies start coming up and you're just dipping and dipping and dipping. I mean, that's pretty fun. It gets you. It gets great big what? Great, great big what coming up? Jimmies. That's what we call great big uh, male crabs. So what do you mean? You see them coming up. You like when you're pulling the net? No, no. When you, when you pull, so I run a trot line. So basically it's like a 500 foot piece of rope 
that's got baits hung off of it every so often. So, and then you um, get a roller off side of your boat and you run down it. And then as you go down it, it's just like a, like a trot line for catfish. And then you dip them instead of pulling the whole trot line up with the catfish on it. You just go down it and dip them and go back, call the crabs out, you know, sort them whatnot. And you go back down and catch them again. So what do you mean? What do you mean dip them? Like, like with a dip net, like you're going down the line, just idling, and then you dip them out of water and throw them in a basket. So how many – so there's a bait on this trot line hanging. What is the bait usually? Uh, clam bags, razor clams, and, and like a mesh, orange mesh bag. So they put their claw into that thinking they're going to get some meat, and their claw gets hung up where they can't let go of that mesh bag? Yeah, yeah. So they'll, they'll either get stuck on it or they'll hold on to it because they're trying to eat it. So – that's how that's how we dip them. How deep is the water? Uh, we go anywhere from twenty to five foot. Five feet deep to twenty feet deep, and how long is mm-hmm. the handle on this dip net? Uh, probably about six to eight. A lot of guys do six to eight foot, but you're only dipping them. It all depends on how how tall the sides of your boat are and stuff like that, and on how far you got to dip and how long your dip net is. Where mine. My sides aren't very tall on mine, so the crabs look right there. So I just use a small six-foot dip net, but you're only dipping them maybe a foot uh, deep in the water, just just until it's it's clear enough to where you can see them. So visual visually, you can see the crabs on the net on the on the bait before you dip. Yeah, yeah, you see them coming up. Yep. What do you mean coming up? So like like when you when you're going down the line, you know your line. You have a roller off side of your boat, so the line's coming up on the side of your boat, and then it's going back in the water as you're going down it. So as that line's coming up, you see the crabs hanging off the bait. You know, you'll see like a white cloud or, you know, just, just the actual crab itself, and then that's when you get ready to dip one right next to you. So they're not out of the water yet. Do they come out of the water, or do you you, you dip you dip down into the water, though? Yeah, yeah, we dip about a foot down into the water to get them. And what's an average of the amount of crabs on a bait? When it's good, two to three. When it's not so good, sometimes you catch one every few baits or so. And how many baits do you have? Uh, I run 3,600 foot of line, and they're spaced out every 10 foot, so 360 baits. So you could potentially catch over 1,000 crab in one, in one, I guess, potentially, one yeah. pool? Yeah, yeah, potentially, but it never happens that way. Usually, you'll get like a small section of like ten or twelve baits that's like in a hole or like right perfect on the edge that will hold two or three crabs. But most time, if it's got three crabs on it, they're not very big. And is there a legal size? Is it what you would call a keeper? Yeah, so five inches, and then um, after that, after I think like mid July, late July, it goes up to five and a quarter. Five and a quarter. And what happens from there? You you have a live well on the on the boat or what? Uh, we just have like we build wooden boxes or we'll take like root bins or whatever and put them either on our washboards or put them on legs and have them right there um, in front of you from where you're dipping and you throw them in there. And then once you get off your line, you turn your boat around and head back to the other side of the line. And then you call them out and you put the five inch crabs in the twos and then the five and three quarter inch crabs, the big ones in the ones, and then you just sort them through there. So, And you head back to the dock and sell them right there? Yeah, yeah. We usually, we'll crab, 
it all depends on we're allowed an hour before sunrise. So sometimes we start at like 3 a.m. and we'll get back around noon or so. Are you fishing for yourself or do you actually work for a commercial operation? No, I've got my own commercial license. So when I get done, I take them to the dock, um, to the wharf over here, and then they, I take them right off the boat. I put them up on there. They take them. They write me a check and give me the money, and I back rate my slit and pay it up and get ready to do it again tomorrow. So how do you dictate where I, – I assume there's a lot of people doing what you do as far as a commercial license goes for crab. How do you – is there just a respect – a, a respect deal to where this is my area right here. Do you fish the same place every year? Are you changing daily or how does it work with the waters? So with the full-time guys, since I got to work fire department, I can usually get about three or four days in a week crabbing. Um, and with the, with the regular guys who do it six days a week, which is the most amount of time you can do in a week, they all got their certain lays. They go to their certain spots. And me, I kind of just, you know, get out there right after everybody and I just kind of try and find a spot in between somebody or, you know, I'll kind of look around and, and I'm usually moving around day to day. There's spots that I like to stay in, you know, that will like places right out the creek here. It's pretty good no matter what time of the year it is, you know, and I try and stay somewhere around there, but sometimes there's so many boats in there, you got to move around a little bit, but. And do you, is there a law of when you have to check your line? When How long is the line in the water before you legally have to check it? Uh, you're legally allowed to check it an hour before sunrise. You can put it in no matter what time. You can put it in at 1 o'clock in the morning if you wanted to, but you're not allowed to go fish that line until an hour before sunrise. Is that because of the traffic in the bays and stuff, and they don't want accidents in traffic or what? Not so much. Um, I be honest with you i don't i don't know what it is i guess it's kind of just a conservation effort that way you can't crab 12 hours a day every single day um because i mean back when my grandfather was doing it i, I remember sometimes we'd be out there 2 30 in the morning working you know if he had performing later on or something he'd work from 2 30 to 8 and he just you know the sooner he had to get done the sooner he went out in the morning so is there is there a quota, Bobby Heim, that the government or the fishing is it U.S. Fish and Wildlife that 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 patrols this and polices this? Is there a quota when so many crabs have been caught? Is there a number that's being kept daily at all the different docks up and down the coast? So there's a um, uh, DNR, uh, Maryland Department of Natural Resources, are the ones that enforce it. Um, and the only limit there is is on sooks, which is a female crab. And I think we're allowed for an unlimited TFL license, you're allowed 24 of them. Some of the smaller LLC licenses get like five bushel or sometimes no females. So it all depends what kind of license you have. But the maximum amount of females you're allowed to catch is 24. You can catch 150 bushel male crabs if you wanted to. But female crabs are, are the big deal. So being the, your own boss and you have your own commercial fishing license – you, you come into the dock and you have all of your crates full of your crabs. You, you made a statement that you go back and do it again. Do you come and sell and then go right back to your line? Do you rebate <clears throat> that? I assume those bait bags, those clam bags are still good. The scent's still there. They're probably going to last more than overnight. So do you go back and run it again right away? Or when's the next time you go back and pull those same traps or do you go move the entire line? No, so when I'm done, like after the crabs kind of slow down a little bit, I'll pull my line up, put it, and we basically put them in trash cans in a boot. And then um, 
when we pull them up, we'll go into the dock, we'll sell our crabs, and then back into the slip. And we got to bait up every single day. Those clams are kind of fragile, and especially when the water's hot, they get stinking, and they're the most rotten things I've ever smelled in my entire life when they're a couple of days old on the line, and it's 75, 80, 90 degrees out. So in the springtime, we can usually get three or four days out of them, but when it's hot in the summertime, you got to bait up every single day. So are you... Are you putting your line back out in the same exact place it was the day before? If, if I do good, yeah. So you it, just it, use, I mean, it's, it's, it's like different than if you go to a cornfield and you shoot your lemon of geese by seven o'clock and then you're like, okay, well, we'll just, you know, and they start getting right back in there again. You're like, all right, boys, we'll come back and hit it again tomorrow. You know, you go back. Whereas like, you know, you say you go somewhere and just not acting like there's going to be a lot of crabs there the next day, then I'll move and, you know, or I didn't do much or I didn't make much money that day, then I'll move and try it somewhere else or something like that. So are you just using GPS coordinates to go to find that exact location again of that run or do you have it in your head? Um, I got a lot of it in my head. Um, since I moved down here a couple of years ago, I'm starting to learn this place a lot better where I was crabbing back on my parents' place um, on Canal Island in the Eastern Bay area. I knew that. I didn't even need to turn my gps or my depth finder on i knew where every edge was because i swam there as a kid i knew where every every good lay was and all that kind of stuff so but i'm learning up here and i, I can pretty much go to whole creek before i get to the actual river in the bay without having to turn my gps or anything on so you're actually not in the ocean right no 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 i'm just in the bay, just in the bay and it's not pink river and stuff like that. say that again i kind of lost you bobby somehow there you are you're back now I'm just in a bay and like a chop tank river and that kind of stuff. What do you mean by that? What what kind of river? Chop tank river. Is so like a- like um that bridge you would go over to head north to Easton uh, two years ago. That's the chop tank river. That's the river. So that you're fishing right there. Yep. God, there's some good seafood houses along that stretch right there. Oh yeah. Yep. Without a I- doubt. I do like that part of the eastern shore. Is that considered the Chesapeake Bay there? Yeah, yep. So yeah, it runs all the way down to northern North Carolina, the edge of the Chesapeake Bay does. All the way down to North Carolina. So how 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 many miles are you able to fish with your commercial license? All the way down to the Carolina? No, I just have to stay within Maryland limits. So I could basically go down to the northern part of Chrisfield, so they're in a deal island. Um, and but I don't go that far. The further the furthest I go is maybe a half hour, 45 minute boat ride. So So what's the next what's the next commercial fishing license? Virginia? Yeah, yeah, Virginia would be next. And then the Carolinas and but usually usually it's like Maryland, Virginia, and then you know, then you hit the ocean and then uh, North Carolina's on the southern south i guess exactly south edge of it which i don't even think it's considered a chesapeake bay but it's that shoreline of the bay that meets the northern tip of uh, north carolina northern tip. So there's a lot of virginia guys that start crabbing in north carolina like right now and then virginia can start setting pots in march 15th march 15th is virginia so when are you ready to roll uh april 1st is the start but there's been a lot of rain this year, um, so I got a feeling these crabs aren't going to start till later, like May or so. So I'm not in any rush right now. So you go from 
firefighting, adrenaline mm-hmm. rush, but you would leave it in a heartbeat if dog training, guiding, and fishing paid the bills or gave you the benefits or a 401k. You go into fishing, there's no adrenaline rush at all. Is it just boring as hell or is it just something that you're going through the motions and pulling it up or do you get excited about it anymore? I get excited. Uh, I think the biggest thing that attracts me to that is just how relaxing it is. And I think I like it so much now because you come off 24 hour shift and then you go and you watch the sunrise and it's calm waters, you know, and you know, you're just out there catching crabs, trying to make a few dollars. I think that, that, uh, there's a lot to be said about that to, um, kind of give you a nice calm down after a 24 hour shift. But if you're setting 360 traps or baits, how how intense is the pre-work when you get to the dock in the morning? How long does it take to get your line ready to go spool out? I can put it out like 15 minutes. We just hook a weight onto the end of it. And like I said, the lines are all in trash bins and they're just cooled up in the trash bin. So you hook it onto a weight and then hook the weight onto a buoy and you throw it out the stern of the boat and you just steer whichever way you want your line to run. And then you just kind of idle the boat up a little bit and, once you get to the end, you throw the other weight over, pull her tight, and you're good to go. You turn around and start running your line. So all the clam bags are in the garbage can on, on the line already? Yep, and they just kind of they just come out. Just How long does it take to put each bag on the line before you go out? It's like maybe an hour and a half of uh, baiting up. But that's like doing it fast. You know, if like some random guy showed up and was like, hey, I'll bait your line, it'd probably take him two and a half hours. So do you go there in the morning and there's a guy selling bait right there on the docks or do you, where do you get your bait? My father-in-law's uh, catch is a clammer. So he catches my clams for me and then he sells them to me. He'll have them ready for me by the time I come in from crabbing. So he usually has them either in the back of my truck or ready at the dock for me. And then I'll grab them and I'll just, as soon as I sell my crabs, I'll start rebaiting right then, put some cool towels and some ice on top of the bait and let it sit till the next day. Wait a minute. Are these clams edible for the human consumption? No. They're not. So the type of no. clams that your father-in-law, you're married now, right? That's I called her your yeah. girlfriend. You're married now. I'm sorry. You guys are married. Congrats. Um, yeah. He doesn't catch edible crabs? or I, I mean, edible clams, or does he also? He will if, if they're with the razor clams, but the razor, but he's just strictly got bait market, really. I mean, if he does catch any white clams or soft shell clams, they're mixed in with the razors and he'll kind of put them to the side and he might sell a five gallon or two five gallon bucket full every, every couple of days or so, but he's strictly just catching bait for crabbers. Wow. That's cool. So they're in your truck. You put it out hour and a half. You got your baits on the line. You drive out 15 minutes later. You, you steer the direction you want to go, reel it out, set your weights and your buoys. Boom. You're fishing. How long does it sit there before you go back and check it average? Um, it all depends. Usually I'll, I'll set it and then I'll turn. I'm usually later than everybody because I let everybody get out first and get all their stuff straight and then, you know, because I don't want to take anybody's spot or get anybody mad or anything. So I usually get out there later. And um, usually I'll take my time after I set my line. I'll turn around. I'll get everything straight, get my calling table ready, you know, turn radio on, maybe drink some more coffee on the way up there. And then I'll usually I'll probably do 10 mile an hour back to the other end of the line. 10 miles an hour. I want some crab, Bobby. I'll send you some. You just got I need some. Send me, send me your address and I'll ship them. 
I can't wait. Well, we got a barter though. I mean, I don't feel right just taking crabs. We got a barter, like maybe trade some duck calls or something that could benefit you and your wife. I'm going to make sure that, that I get you taken care of too. That's fine with me. We, we'll, we'll figure something out. I'm not too worried about it, but we'll figure something out. Speaking of duck calls, you're blowing jargon still, I assume, on during the hunt and on stage. Has there been any on stage lately? Well, let's start with this. Did it suck for Maryland or for Easton not to go off, for the world goose not to go off? Because you would have competed in the world live duck, you would have competed in the world live goose, and you would have competed in the world goose and probably the world team goose. That would have been November of 2020. COVID cancels this. How bad did that suck? Or were you kind of happy to get a year off so you could come back and just mop up in 2021? No, it tore me up. It absolutely tore me up. I, I That whole weekend, I was just like, what am I? Luckily, rut was kicking pretty good, so I was deer hunting, so I kept myself busy. However, it was uh, it was tearing me up. I was like, man, I should be in Easton right now. I should be getting ready. You know, I, I should be drinking beer with the boys after the contest. You know, I should be, you know, hanging out with all my my Midwest buddies and the guys that are here at home. You know, I should be able to be seeing everybody. So it uh, it sucked severely. It was horrible. First time in history, huh? Yeah, it's crazy. What, um, were you, were you train, were you training up to it as if it was going to happen? Or I, I think they canceled it pretty far out, like August or something, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. They canceled it. I, I'm always practicing a little bit. Um, usually a week before world see, and it was on, it would have been messed up even if it was on this year, because usually I get most of my practice when I'm in Canada guiding, like I come back from them 60 days and, you know, I'm good to go. You know, I can spit a routine out because I've been blowing my goose and duck call for 60 days straight. You know, I can spit a routine out, you know, just as good as I would if I'd been practicing 365 days out of the whole year, you know, and yeah, I would have been all jacked up because I didn't have Canada this year like I had the past three and I would have been all sorts of, it would have been weird. Are you still, have you blown any of the new jargon models? Are you still blowing jargon competition-wise and hunting-wise? Has Chris shipped you the J-frames? I assume he has. I've got the live duck, yeah. I've still got the small talk and the live duck. Um, I, I haven't gotten any of the rest of them. I know he's pretty pretty busy with hunting season. He told me, he called me a couple months ago, and he was like, yeah, man, we're, we're busy, you know, especially through hunt season and everything. So I, uh, I haven't asked him for any. I don't like asking for stuff, but – I'm I'm very happy with the way the J Frame Live Duck come out. I think it's it's fantastic. Hold on a sec. I'm sending a text right now. Bobby Heim. All right, let me know if you get this. Did it come through yet? Not yet. All right, you should have it. Okay, that that took care of that. Got it. <laughs> you don't see. So you don't have to ask, Bobby. I'll just make sure that we get you taken care of. Um, there you go. Um, you loving the calls. They're awesome, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, at first it was kind of, kind of hard to, 
you know, blow the small talk and then turn around and blow the live duck because they're two different air, air presentations and, you know, they got a little bit of different ways to go about them. But now I, I can pick either of them up and it's fantastic. I love both of them. I use them for different scenarios and, and everything. So it's the live duck's fun because you can get a lot of different stuff out of it. And I mean, a lot of different stuff. So if you were going on stage tomorrow for the world worlds, would it be the small talk still? Probably because I can push it. And when I get on stage and, and my nerves get jumping, I, I know I can't over push that small talk. I can't ever push a live duck just a hair. So I would, I'll, I'd probably play it safe with the small talk. Okay. This is the part of the podcast where I'm going to ask you to do the same that we did last time, but now it's going to change it up because I would like you to send me a video, audio video, a video with audio, obviously have your lovely wife record you in a room that doesn't echo or outside. I want a 90 or I want a 60 second. It's a live duck. 60 seconds. The routine. Yeah. Please do, please do your 60 second live duck routine with a small talk and then one with a live duck. And we will, we will insert them at this point in the podcast. So you guys can hear you girls can hear the master, one of the best live duck callers in the world. I mean, this dude sounds mallardly. I like that word mallardly. Do you like that? M a L L a R D L Y mallardly. Isn't that a nice word? I Um, love it. I love it. Bobby Heim sounds and is mallardly here. His are his routines. The first one you're going to hear is his 60-second live duck routine on the small talk from Jargon. And then we are going to turn around, and we are going to run his 60-second live duck routine on the Jargon live duck. That's the name of the duck called the live duck. He's blowing a live duck routine on our Jargon live duck single read call. This is for your listening enjoyment.
Bobby, these routines have won you money. They have built your network. They've introduced you to how vast the hunting industry and hunting culture is worldwide, countrywide, statewide, um, how rich it is in history and tradition. Do you still love competition duck calling and the practice and work that goes into it as much as you did when you started? Yeah. Yeah. I like it more now because I'm successful. It's hard. And um, especially early on, you know, when you get your ass kicked a couple of times and then you're kind of like, you know, oh man, you know, is it even worth it? But once you start, you know, if you keep at it and then once you start being successful, it's, uh, it's a lot more rewarding and it just kind of, for me, it makes it more, um, more appetizing for me. It makes me want to just work harder and um, do better every year. And when you say better, how much of a killer instinct do you have? Do you want to, I know you just said you drink beers with your buddies, but it's like UFC. They're going to shake hands and hug after, but do you want to mop up that ass when you're on stage? Like, do you want to smoke these buddies that you're drinking beer with an hour later? Oh yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that's always my anticipation is to go there and try and win. Um, it's kind of a, but there's so many good guys that do it, you know, and you, you, and you're hoping that, you know, if I weren't going to win, you know, I hope this guy wins or, you know, I, like, like one person I hope wins the world goose one day. And I hope it happens soon. is John Walls because he's by far the most everybody. I'm pretty sure everybody on that stage, no matter if you're from the Midwest, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, I'm pretty sure everybody hopes John Walls wins it one day, but yeah, but I'm always showing up to try and win without a doubt. I'm like, I got, I, I got to get him this time. You know, I, I got to try. So and that's the world duck, the world live duck. No, he's already won a world live duck. That's the world goose. But live goose. Like if I had somebody that I wanted to win the world live duck, it would have been Corey Nickham, but he already won it last year because he's he's been the same way. He's been at it. He's been top five like every single year he's done it. And, you know, that's just one of them guys you're just pulling for. You know, you're like, man, come on, hurry up, go ahead and win it. You know, it's, it's your turn. So. And he was blowing a layers, and he sounded mallardly also. He's good. Yeah, he's good. I, he's – oh. It, he he's he's even better on a meat routine. I mean, it's 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 crazy. He was he was first. You were second to him though. You were first runner up in 2019. Do you remember by how many points? I think it was like two or three. Very very skim. Like that's not very many points in a duck calling contest. Yep. That's right there. Yep. Especially especially when you got five judges. You know, if half of them decided. Oh, you know, I'll give another point. Then it would have been tied. You know, and yeah. So it's pretty, pretty tight. So right now, do you think you, your lot, your world goose routine, not your live goose, but your, 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 your street routine, do you think it's good enough to win the world goose? Um, I'd like to hope, you know, I've been told by multiple people, you know, it's like, just keep at it. You know, you're going to win it. You know, you're good enough. You know, routine is good and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I love the world goose and everything. So um, I'm happy with my routine, but I also like to stick to a certain standard. You know, I like to be goosey. You know, I, I just, I got that East coast low and slow routine sort of, and I kind of, that's what I stick to. That's what I do best. So whether it wins one day or not, um, it'll be what it'll be. If I don't win, then at least, you know, I, I went out there and give it a good try. I'm going to keep going until I can't blow a goose call anymore. So Hopefully one day I'll catch up to it as well as a live duck. I love it. So how was the season as a whole? It was a weird season. Most places it was a 
slow duck season most places. There was places that had them in, you know, peaks and valleys. Oklahoma had them a little bit. Kansas had them. Uh, North Dakota had them late. Arkansas struggled. Louisiana struggled. Mississippi struggled for the most part. Texas had them, but it was they had to work hard for them in certain areas of Texas where they're used to getting them a lot easier. Idaho had them. But for the most part, did you hear, you talked to a lot of guys in your network we discussed before, did you hear it was tough? And I'm talking ducks mainly. Did you hear it was oh, tough? It, it was garbage. It was horrible. Horrible here. I mean, usually, you know, we hunt water every day and anticipate on killing our goose limit, but as well as killing five or six mallards with them, you know, or, you know, five or six divers or whatever. And this year it was just, they were, they were vacant. They weren't here. Like we had ducks finally show up. I think I killed like eight or nine the last day of the season here on the last day of January. That was the best duck day we had. No way. The geese and eight or nine mallards and black ducks. So it was, it was horrible. Was I it mean, no- we, we killed a few males early, a few, uh, few jacks we killed a few of them early but other than that it was none in december zero ducks was it a normal winter or was it warm on average it was warm we got lucky with the geese we did so well on the geese because it got so cold so early um i think it was like last week in november first week of december we got like a couple days in a row that were like 20s and 30s and we just had this major migration push in i mean it was geese everywhere and they stayed here um, and with it only being one bird, it's not that hard to fulfill your limit every day. So the goose hunting was kind of rocking for us, but, and the birds stayed, even though it was mild, they, as soon as they get here, they stay here. So that's why the, that's why the, I guess they called it the capital because it's like, you know, nothing will, they won't reverse migrate when it's like, once they get here, they're stuck. So that made it doable this year, but the ducks were non-existent. Canada goose hunting is a lot of work. It's big decoy spreads, oh, yeah. depending on where you're at. It could be two dozen. It could be 30 dozen. It can be silhouettes. It can be full bodies like I prefer, um, pit blinds. It can be ground blinds. In that area, a lot of stubble cornfields, a lot of stubbling up and in, in, uh, out in the middle, or you can get on a on an edge and hunt a, an A-frame or a panel blind, and you still got to blend in and develop a false weed line or a false line, like I like to call it. A lot of work for one goose. One goose. Yeah. You go out. You go out there with three guys. You're done in one volley. Is there any talks of that limit being raised in the in the Atlantic Flyway anytime soon? So, from what I heard, they made a whole entire East Coast thirty days one bird, which is what we we wanted from the beginning because you know New York, Pennsylvania, all them places are still shooting too. Well, we've had these super warm winters the past couple of years, so when they get to when the birds stay there and they get to shoot too. You know, that's not, that's not helping our case with, you know, breeding pairs and all that kind of stuff, in my opinion. So um, now that they made it 30 days, one bird, I actually took a guy um, pheasant hunting the other day who was part of uh, Fish and Wildlife. And he said uh, the plan is because they do it in three to five year cycles, just like the last moratorium was a five year cycle, I believe. And um, and they're, they're hoping that after the next three years with being one bird all over the whole East Coast that maybe they'll bump it back to two. Back to two in the next three years. That's just, that's what that's, so do you travel anywhere? Do you go to Pennsylvania? Do you go anywhere where you can get into them a little bit more? No, not, no, not really. Um, I did make all my blinds 20 foot this year. So I could hunt with like eight or 10 people. <laughs> are you telling yeah. me that, are you telling me that what outfitter do you work for? I work for Chesapeake God Service. 
there are people that are coming to the Eastern shore right now that are willing to come from out of state to kill one goose each just because of the heritage and the culture and the tradition, or tell me what's going on. Are they locals that don't have their own leases or their own fields or their own decoy spread that are paying an outfitting service and a guide to take them out, which is awesome. And I love that. But one goose, I mean, are you guys really getting clientele or is it a duck hunt with a goose combo? What is it? Yeah, um, it, it's a little bit of both. Uh, we get we had a lot of outer staters, um, a lot of people from the western shore, you know, the cities and stuff. They came out this year, but um, they're all duck hunts. And we told them like, hey, listen, guys, you know, we're going to put you on a river. We're going to put you in the impoundment. You know, we're going to put you on the pond. And, you know, we're going to do our best to try and kill you some ducks, you know, but if not, here's your six geese or here's your eight geese or, you know, five geese or whatever, you know, so. Depending on how many are in the group. Yeah, we, we, we killed our geese every single day, but we were all hunting water every single day. Unless it was some, we get some older gentlemen that come that have been coming for 20 plus years that know they can't catch up to a duck, so they show up, kill her one goose, you know. So uh, we did have some field hunts this year, but for, I think the whole whole 30 days, I was on water every single day. Are you guiding these duck and goose trips on the same river you're crabbing on? Uh, no, I guide up on the Chester River, which I used to crab back in the day when I was living on Canal Island. But now I live about an hour away from where I guide at, so I don't, I don't, uh, I don't guide that, or I don't crab at far north anymore. You don't. Mm-mm. Man, I still can't get over how much work that is. If I California early season's five, Colorado's four or five. There's states that have an eight goose limit in the early season, 15 geese. Sometimes Jersey has a pretty liberal limit. New York has liberal limits. Um, are those limits staying the same, even though that Eastern flyway is, is going to the, does New York stay the same? Because they have higher uh, limits than one. Yeah. New York, New York's been two the past two years. Um, but now they're all going to one. 30 days new jersey everything's going to one for 30 so days are they cutting out the early season because in jersey used to be able to kill like 10 or 15 in the early season right are they taking that out yeah yeah no no the early season is still there um and there's some some contemplation about that because we, we get geese showing up here in maryland on that last full moon in september like you know around the 23rd or 27th somewhere in there we get a lot of migrators start showing up even if it's 70 degrees they just they're just forced to have it coming down on that moon and um, there's a lot of um a lot of people who want some of those resident seasons cut back like new york's runs from september 1st to september 30th like there's no way they're not killing migrators up there in upstate new york you know on september 25th you know and, and i i think they can shoot 15 per person or something like that with unplugged guns and stuff. So um, all those seasons as of now, I believe are still staying in put, but those are staying put. So they're okay with killing the residents. They're just not okay with the migrating flocks. Right. Well, you've said a lot, Bobby, like Howard Stern says, you've said it all. You are a man of many lines of work. Some you enjoy more than others. I would say that in the order, it goes like this. The way that you make money is four ways. I didn't even count the competition calling because you make checks at that. So your revenue stream is in order of your favorites is outfitting for ducks and geese and guiding, making tips and whatever the outfitter pays you. The checks that come in from being on stage and your homies 
and goose and duck calling competitions, then firefighting, then crabbing. Is that correct? Um, I'd probably swap firefighting and crabbing. Fire crabbing's more is more fun than the firefighting. Oh yeah, oh, I'm working myself. You're over the firefighting. Yeah, don't uh, let like, don't let. Like, sorry, go ahead, Bobby. No, 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 you're good. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, do not let that let you lose focus. Oh no, no, it's no, an no, important job. No. I, I I know I need firefighting, and I know I need to try and enjoy it as long as possible. But there's nothing like being out in the great outdoors. I just can't. I can't get away from it. You love it. I love it. I love it so much. I appreciate you support jargon. You make our jargon calls sound way better than I do. Chris is a hell of a duck call. Have you heard Chris call? I have. He's, I I, I watch the videos of him calling all the time. God, he needs to come to Easton and do team live duck with me. He should, huh? He's too shy. Uh, he can hit he that power chatter back. though. That power chatter, he can hammer that. Yeah, he did that power chatter right in the middle. Right in the middle of it, I hit that real high duck. Oh, oh, I would love. I would pay to see that. I'd pay the admission price to see that. Now, I got to ask you about <laughs> these pictures behind you. I, the cat, Bobby. I mean, we got to position the camera where we don't see the cat anymore. He's wigging me out. <laughs> That cat I got from the fire department. I rescued it out of a storm drain. Oh, I love it. And Sadie was in my in the town I work in, just out of like crazy, like just randomly was there. And I said, hey, I rescued a cat. She said, I'll be there in five minutes to the station to pick it up. So, okay. <laughs> Looks like we're getting a cat. <laughs> How old is she now? She is, she's not even a year. I think she's like six months. I just rescued her. Oh, um, it just happened. Oh, last fall. Yeah. And which dog is behind you? Is that the new pup? No, that's that's my dog Coda. It's my A one day one. That's Coda. Yeah, he's a stud. Oh yeah, yeah. He's uh, he's he's got some miles on him. I uh, I don't want to say the number because people will tell me I lie, but he's got some miles on him. Miles or retrieves? You talking retrieves? retrieves. Miles is in yeah. retrieves. Yeah, we're talking retrieves. Coda C K O D A. Yep. Yeah. That's a cool name. That's Bobby Heim. Yep. The dude is a worker. 25 years old, four jobs. Firefighter. Commercial fisherman and crabber. Competition duck and goose caller. And when I say competition, I mean world street goose, world live goose, world team goose. And in duck, I don't know if you do main street and duck, Stuttgart style, but you're live duck, your team live duck. Are you meat also? Yeah, I'm probably going to do meat. What's the difference yeah, between live lot. duck and meat? Meat is basically the same structure as the world goose is. So you're calling it ducks. You get their attention. They flare. You get them back. You finish them. All that kind of stuff. So that one's 90 seconds, whereas live duck's just 60 seconds. Sounds sound just as much like a duck as you can. You're good at all of them, bro. Congratulations on the success. Appreciate it. Keep fighting the good fight as a firefighter. Keep saving lives. That's an awesome job. We support our police officers, our public servants, our EMTs, our firefighters. We take it for granted, and we shouldn't. And that's what this podcast is all about, is working. There's so many different walks of life and different lines of work and revenue in this 
country and this world. And it's awesome to learn what's going on that we might not think about on a daily basis because we are so wrapped up in our daily rigmarole, our daily responsibilities, whether it's raising youngins and family and community and politics or just your job or social media or TV or Netflix or binge watching. There's so much that we can get wrapped up in. I mean, like Bobby said, the outdoors mean everything. Let's get off our pads and our phones. Let's get out there and talk and converse and get to know somebody. Let's go to work. Let's make a living. Let's become a better version of ourselves every day. Thank you for listening to another great episode of the Foul Life Dickies Workwear podcast series. And thank you to Dickies for supporting our culture, our lifestyle of hunting, the outdoors, fishing, gathering, conservation, and providing, and working, working all over the world. That's what we were put on earth to do, like my dad said, is to work. You can raise a family, love your family, but you got to work to put food on that table. It doesn't just appear. So take that for what it's worth. Bobby, any closing words? My man with the banded B on his hat. What's up, banded brother? Drug. Yeah, I can't thank you enough for having part two. I appreciate it. We'll be back with part three after I eat some of this crab and I can give you the rundown of what my taste buds we're experiencing Bobby Heim. What should I put on it? Tony Chasseries, which I prefer, or do I need Old Bay? Uh, I'll do a little bit of Old Bay. I'd, I'd, uh, I mean, you, you all cook some. I see the Snapchat or, I mean, the uh, Instagram stories and everything all the time of all the cooking y'all do. I'm sure y'all will be able to make something fantastic out of it. I can't wait. That's Bobby Heim. Tom, Jake, hit that button. This is 2AM Logic. The song is called My Foul Life. That's another edition of Dickie's Workwear Podcast Series right here at The Foul Life. And don't forget, brand new episodes, season 13 of Benelli's The Foul Life will air July 2nd, 2021, exclusively on the Outdoor Channel. And we also have the provider TV coming to Mo TV, My Outdoor TV. Subscribe today. Great deals going on. Very affordable for hours and hours and hundreds and thousands of hours of your favorite producers, favorite TV personalities including Booger Bottom, Georgia, Waddell and T-Bone and Nick Munn on the Bone Collector. There's Shockey, Jim and Eva. There's tons of people on there. Lee and Tiffany and the Crush. I can go on and on. The Drury's, the Robertson's, Duck Commander. There's so much TV on there. So many reruns of your favorite content. Get a subscription to My Outdoor TV today where the provider will start airing May 2021. Thank you guys so much for the support of all of our brands. We're going to keep bringing it. Thank you to Dickies again. Thank you to Bobby Heim again. Tom Jake, hit that button. 2 a.m. Logic, My Foul Life. Talk to you all soon.